So, Jason, what is a time that God has richly blessed you and come through in a way that you just, you really didn't expect? The time that always jumps out of my mind is Heather and I were about to get married. And we were, when, once we got married, we were going to go to a school where we had to raise support, monthly support to live. Because the nature of the school was you couldn't hold it, you really couldn't hold a job, you know, because it was just too consuming. And we had we had one hundred dollars confirmed, and we needed like a thousand or twelve hundred. And the day before we got married, um, basically the timeline was: we get married, we take a week for honeymoon, and then we show up at this school and get started. You know, so it was just like, what are we going to do? And so basically, the day before we got married, we got a call from a person we had never met. I, we had sent out letters like six months earlier and we had forgot to on the letters asking for help. We'd forgot to include our phone number or our address. We we were in Ecuador when we sent the letters out. So we had that address, but we just had not calculated on, it was just so dumb of us. We hadn't calculated on, um, being moved by the time people would respond, you know, and it's a big story of how it came about. But bottom line, this person who had never met us got our letter in in October. And then here it was the end of February and he had some extra funds come up. And for whatever reason, he held onto this letter, tracked down the school who then tracked us down and was going to give us basically 75% of our needed money, like, like $800. And it was so stunning. So I go to my rehearsal dinner to tell Heather, we've raised the lion's share of our support. And from our perspective, it's in like a millisecond, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll just, I'll never forget that. Oh, that's really cool. I love that. I especially love the idea of, of for you it being a millisecond and for God, it was this, it was this complicated web of events. And, right. and, I, and I just, I also love the, the idea, especially for what we're going to talk about today, that it wasn't an easy process that it was, it was something that was earned, like that was had to be earned over the course of a long period of time. So that, that's just really incredible for, for me. The really obvious answer um, just becomes kind of the response that we had from when Hannah and I got fired early on in the year, we had people that had never met us, people who listen to this podcast because you, Jason, who, you know, wouldn't know me from uh, Adam. I've never really understood that phrase. Did I say it correctly? Yeah, it is. We'll okay. have to revisit that later. Okay. Well, it sounds like something that would have been like really big during like the Cold War phase, and like you know, the, like I, I, something to do with atom bombs or something. When, when we were kids, <laughs> we used atom. It all the time. Is it, oh my gosh! I mean, this is I'm so stupid. It's atom, not atom, right? Right. Oh my true. gosh! I'm an idiot. From atom. So the, <laughs> <laughs> I have spent 25 years in this world thinking that it was like knowing them from atom. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm an idiot. Why does anybody? Ever, nobody should listen to me for anything. <laughs> So, so, okay. Yeah. So people, people who didn't know me from Adam, uh, me or or Hannah, they just, they came through in just really crazy, miraculous ways, you know, specifically. So we had, um, man, just so many people come through for us. There were multiple churches that wanted to support us and, and, and we, and we knew that people like we we knew that there would be people who had our backs, but uh, just the like wide range of support, uh, man, both financially, like in a, in a very real sense, and just like people being so 
cognizant of how we must be feeling and like i I had so many offers to be like for a shoulder to cry on from people that i had like not seen in forever that it was like and and mind you this was like a job loss this wasn't like i lost you know a a child or, or a spouse it was just like the number of people who were there for us, who wanted to be there for us. Like it, like we couldn't have utilized the the resources that were at our disposal at that yeah. time, which is just crazy. God, like the, the, the leftover loaves of, of that um, experience. Were, I mean, there were so many leftover loaves. Uh, I love that. I love that framing that brought to mind when our church building burnt down and the response uh, from our community and from uh, so many people. But yeah, it, it's a beautiful thing to think on that. Hello, my name is Connor. And I'm Jason. And you are listening to the Amazed and Perplexed Podcast. Today we are going to be discussing Jesus feeding the 4,000. That's found in Mark chapter 8. So today, because it's a little bit longer of a, a chunk of passage... We're going to try something a little bit weird and different. I'm going to read kind of the, narr- the narration part of the scripture, and Jason's going to be Jesus for us whenever you happen to be listening, which is just super cool. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way, because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. (laughs) Seven. They replied. He told the crowd to sit on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them. Also, and told the disciples to distribute them. I wish Jesus had now break the fish and then distributed them. Uh, the people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present after he had sent them away. He got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region. Eh, I'm not even... I'm not even... I, I've, heard it. I've heard it before. I'm not going for it. Dalmanutha. So... I love that that experience that we just had because that was an idea that Jason and I had simultaneously because it was like, oh, it's so long. We want to break up the reading, even though like because we're sometimes worried about like, oh, one of us drones on a little too long. But that's just this whole podcast is us monologuing to each other. Mm -hmm. But we're a little worried that like, oh, if we read more than four verses in a row, it's really going to drag on the listener's ear. So I think I think we should leave that in as just a a fun practice and fine by me and failure. So, Jason. What amazes you about Jesus feeding the 4,000? I, I think what I'm trying to, yeah, I, I think this falls into the amazement category. Um, and I think this is true of a lot of his miracles. What amazes me about this is that, and, and it doesn't seem amazing at face value, but Jesus creates this enormous amount of food based on a true need. And, and that sounds weird, but when he says, you know, hey, these people are going to collapse if I don't make them food, they're, they're starving, you know what I mean? He's not, Jesus is not trying to create a principle here of you better have a food pantry at your church. And he's not anti-food pantry, but but it just amazes me, in, in some ways it amazes me that I missed the point of this of this experience, you know, but it's that it's that Jesus 
is paying attention to the people in front of him and responding to their actual need. He's not establishing a principle that we need to keep applying, you know, and I think we can take principle from it. But the reason Jesus is doing this is primarily to to function in the in the actual reality he's in. And, and the reason I guess it's so amazing to me is I think we try to principle everything that happens, you know, in, in the New Testament. And the beauty of God's word is you can. It is so amazing what Jesus does. It has these incredible layers and ripple effects that you can apply them to everything and form principles and write books about. But but the at the root of this, it's a man that's very paying attention in a loving way to the people around him and saying, this is their need right now. And I think why I'm, why it amazes me is that's not the way I receive Christianity. Mm-hmm. When people come into service, I'm not thinking, what do they need right now? I'm thinking, what have we planned? What is our structure based on our principles? It's not, basically, I, I inherited a Christianity that was not responsive to the needs of the people in front of me. So if if I were to kind of throw up an analogy, it's similar to if we walked into every life situation and we took from this passage, we just need to be feeding people. That's all that that's what this is the call. This is like the most probably besides him rising from the dead, one of the most astounding miracles that he he performs. So we just need to be feeding people constantly. And that just needs to be what the reality of the church is. What happens when we're focused on the surface level issue of hunger versus looking underneath of what do they truly need at this moment, then everything becomes, you know, to a hammer, everything's a nail. Right. And so if, if here's here's the analogy, if every situation, if every circumstance, if every person requires, um, you know, if, if we just tell them or says this situation necessitates, you know, mass feeding, then we are not accurately, uh, we are not effectively using the tools that that God wants to give us. We're not effectively using the the totality of the gifts that he's given us. And that's it kind of we'll talk about it more when it perplexes me um why this isn't more of a thing, why it doesn't happen more often, but it's this rec- I think what you're talking about is this recognition that my this recognition that we're all unique individuals and we all find ourselves in unique times and unique places. And Jesus doesn't view us with a one solution fits all sort of thing, one size fits all sort of deal, right? And and I guess what what that that is exactly that exactly expresses what I'm what I'm saying here. And the the amazing part is, what could my life be like if I did this? I, I think humans, on one hand, we we desperately want to live an adventure and and feel like there was great meaning to our life. Simultaneously, we desperately want predictability and normal and comfort zone. And and the more affluent we are as a mm. culture, the more we define ourselves by our comfort zone. Like my happy life now as an American citizen is, am I feeling as good as I felt yesterday? Because if I don't feel as good as I felt yesterday, then mm-hmm. something's desperately wrong, you know, with me. And, and this speaks to the idea that on one hand, I want an adventure and I want growth and I want to to experience amazing things but simultaneously i work so hard to block those off so i want the growth i want the adventure but it has to be in these two to three ways that i'm i'm very comfortable with exactly right see by definition and we may have talked about this before but we we always say man i love to grow but then simultaneously like but i don't want to change more specifically i don't want to hurt i don't want to feel uncomfortable i don't want to feel confused or perplexed 
And and the, the dynamic of Jesus here is because even you referencing, and I don't want to take our thunder from what perplexes us, but this idea is once you saw this happen, wouldn't you expect it to happen all the time? Mm. It's a winner. Yeah. It's a winner. This is a great brand. Everywhere Jesus goes, he feeds the crowd. Mm-hmm. You're going to get crowds that swell, and isn't this good for the kingdom? Now, man, what are the stories we missed out on? Jesus feeds 100,000. Yeah. Wouldn't that be a better story than Jesus feeds 4,000? Well, I think you go even further. Of If Jesus can feed people at the drop of a dime, then people don't need to be farmers. Like, and if people don't need to be farmers, if they can leave and you know they don't have to tend crops, they can rise up. They can overthrow Rome. They can be. They can. They can contribute in so many different areas if they don't have to be constantly growing food. I think the the what ifs from this from the situation they're they're just they're in. You can't even count the number of things that you could do with a massive with an unlimited supply of food oh my gosh what you just said i never thought about that before now let's spiritualize it yeah so so they're not they're not pushing back on rome which certainly would have been their heartbeat you know yeah. to do no they're going to do productive work like mm-hmm. become preachers and now we're going to have a thousand preachers in the in the you know oh, good palestinian area that sounds terrible you know well, no, my, my <laughs> no, point yes, you yes, see yes, what i'm saying yes. though is like how i mean Certainly, what's more superior uh-huh. to having a, a, a thousand missionaries? Let's make it even more spiritual. A thousand, like we have a thousand Pauls that are going out. Why? Why just mm-hmm. limit it to one guy that's going around? And Jesus could feed everybody, and we wouldn't need people to be farmers. Now, like, wouldn't that be the more spiritual thing? Mm-hmm. So, so then you have this dynamic of now Jesus is gutting the productivity of the gospel Ooh. by not using his giftedness to eliminate the need for farmers so they can do quote more productive work unquote that's really that's really fascinating so if you had the if you suddenly had the resources and the ability to like open up a school like to provide and say hey come to the memorial drive come to the jason you know memorial drive school of you know leading preaching yada yada whatever and you'll have your board paid you can live here you don't have to worry about food just come and learn and sit at sit at my feet while i teach you about these things if you had the resources to do that sort of thing it would almost be it would seem and this get stepping on the toes but it would be almost irresponsible that you wouldn't do that that you wouldn't you know you wouldn't take people away from this quote-unquote lesser work even if we you know pay homage you know, to people and say, no, this is important, good, you know, part of um, building the kingdom here on earth. I think the reality is for, for all of us, there is this, well, yeah, I mean, I say that, but like, if I, I don't want to do that, you know, like, I don't want to be, be the farmer doing that. So, I yeah, know. no, I, no, I think, I think this is, the, so, so to draw this back, cause I want to hear what, what amazes you, but to kind of draw this back is this dynamic of how, I, I guess if I'm, man, I'm really trying to put my finger on it. What, to articulate well what amazes me what amazes me about this is how and it's not just this passage but to this passage we made this a principle mm-hmm. and jesus is is fundamentally in all contexts asking the same question what is the most loving thing to do here and instead we create we create out of it a protocol for how to do good church that's good and that's the thing that amazes me is how far off i am now in saying this i'm not anti the the food distribution dynamics that that mm-hmm. Christians do I I'm I'm a fan of it, but is that responding to protocol or to the call of God and responding to the actual needs of the people around me? And so that's the, a good question for me. Yeah. So the the fact that the mandate here is not go and feed thousands of people, but it's react to the needs of the people that God puts in front of you allows Christianity to be a multi multi ethnic 
multi-generational uh, church. Because if you're trying to start an organization and if how it serves people, if how it works in their community can only be in this one specific way, then you are drastically limiting the kind of people that you can reach. And so I don't think I'd ever thought about this before, but the fact that Jesus is so much more about the person than he is the actual act means that that Christianity is not about my current need or your current need in the moment. It's It's the deeper question. So what amazes me, what amazes me about this passage is I think as somebody who's not organized, as somebody who really struggles with that and would love to be organized and love to be, well, I wouldn't love to be organized because I wouldn't want to do that work, but I would love to be more organized and love to have more of my things all together. There is this sense that goodness, uh, righteousness, uh, the way um, the way things should be is that needs are met in a efficient and timely manner that for things to be good they have to be they have to fit the numbers right they have to fit um, the schedule in the right way what i love about this passage is that just completely contradicts my my view of of what the world should be or how god should operate you know it says that after a few days of walking after a few days of this teaching and, and preaching jesus finds himself in this amongst these people that are hungry and i'm like well why weren't and and now this is the second time this has happened but why weren't they thinking about this before if you walk around with lots of people and they're getting brought in to hear your message and you're a really compelling speaker guess what more and more people are going to come why isn't this something you haven't been you know planning for actively so there's that there's that side of things the second side of things is that mark is very intentional in letting us know that there are leftovers that there's an overflow of goods that there's an overflow of what was needed. Uh, wh- there, there's some specific dynamics to that one. It was expected at most most Jewish meals, or if you're going to provide for a guest, that there would be leftovers. So th- there's there's certainly part of that there. But I think the the real the deeper reality for me, and, and the very uh, incredible thing about God is. Jesus is not a God that just wants to meet our needs and nothing else. Jesus wants to um, give and give abundantly, so much so that out of the overflow of his love, we would have excess. We would have not just what we need, the bare minimum, but we would have more, that we would um, we would flourish. And for me, that, that's such an incredible, um, comforting ideal, comforting thing. It's just such an, a comforting thing to me that, that Jesus... While he's not a God of excess, he is certainly a God of, um, of flourishing and of overflow. And that's just pretty incredible to me. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that. And I, I love that dynamic of, and this kind of taps into what perplexes me, if I can go there. Sure. Is that okay? What perplexes me about this dynamic is how much the apostles miss the point. And you pick this up more in the discussion. If you keep reading in the chapter, they have an interaction with the Pharisees. And then later Jesus says, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. 
And they're like, oh, we didn't bring enough bread. <laughs> and Jesus is like, how many uh, baskets were left over when I fed 5,000? How many baskets were left over after mm-hmm. I fed 4,000? And we look at the apostles and we're like, they are so dumb. They are so uh, slow and they're they're like experts in missing the point. And then I go back to what amazes me and then I'm like, oh my goodness, so am I. So so this is what perplexes me about with, with that in mind. What perplexes me is why Jesus does not feel compelled to pull the apostles aside if he can respond to the deepest need of this group of people. Now, it may be obvious. Maybe there are people laying on the ground <laughs> or they're starving. You know, you know, there, there's all these signals of, of their you know deprivation of food. But if he's that tuned in to these strangers, certainly he's tuned in enough to the apostles to know they're going to have this whole experience of this excess Mm-hmm. and they're going to miss the point. And they're still going to be worried within maybe the same day or 24 hours later about do we have enough food? Like in theory, like we don't know what happened to the excess. Yeah, My assumption is they're not carrying seven full baskets on their back. You know what I mean? They distributed it, you know, gave it mm-hmm. away or whatever. But but it's the idea that that they are so they're, – they're, it's the one-two punch. They are so dumb. And why doesn't he offset this? It'd be so easy to say after every experience they have, do a debriefing. All right, what just happened, guys? What do we learn from that? What's the signal from God? What is the thing you learn about loving people or trusting God from this? And there's none of that. Like he's almost intentionally leaving them still on the outside of understanding. So it's this, the the thing that pops in my mind when you were talking about that is for us, there there would be this natural desire. We feel like there'd be this natural desire to want to go deeper, to want to keep going further. But one of the infuriating things about the, the disciples is they're just like living, they're just like almost completely in the moment, except for when they're thinking about how can I be better off in the future? Like for them, they're just like, well, there's some hungry people. There's thousands of people around us. They're really hungry. They could die. They could get angry if, if we don't feed them soon. Jesus feeds them. They're like, oh, cool. That, that figured out. There, there doesn't seem to be this deeper introspection like you're, like you're talking about here. And on, on the one hand, that, that's like incredibly perplexing that they wouldn't be like, you know, that, that this wouldn't be something that they were doing, this, this sort of introspection, this sort of dialogue with Jesus. The other thing I go is, man, it... it isn't that part of what we want? Like, don't we, like, don't we do want a dialogue with Jesus? And, and I think there, there, that certainly happens, and we see it throughout, see it in different places in the Gospels. But don't I want to just be living in the presence of Jesus and just, like, accepting, like, don't remember, they don't get it right all the time, but isn't there an element here of, like, they're not focused on the past, they're not even really focused on the future, they're just completely living in the moment with Jesus, and obviously that has its downsides because if if they forget what Jesus has done for them, but there is a part of here that I wish I could capture, like, I always want to hold on to what Jesus has done for me and the promises he has made for me in the future, but there is an element here of the disciples that I would really like to have just, like, yeah, I'm here with Jesus, and this this is the moment that I have right now. That is, uh, yeah, that is so good. And it's ironic because what I'm saying, I'm frustrated with the fact that they're not acting like responsible adults. Mm. And then Jesus will say, yeah, to get the kingdom, you're going to have to act like trusting children. And so they are acting like trusting children, which means they're not saying, tell us deeper, we want to understand fully, Mm -hmm. which then leaves them in a place to say, oh, 
uh, we don't have enough bread. Because that's what a kid would say. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, guys, we, we provided meals for you all the way up till today. And the kid comes in like, where's we supper? Yeah. Are we okay? What's going on? And you're like, hey, we provided meals from you for you every day. And so you can trust we're going to have a meal. Mm. And so this is now I'm really perplexed. Yeah. Because I'm like, what is a good Christian supposed to look like? Because what you just said is so true. They are capturing in this moment the dynamic of we just we just trust God. Okay, you gave us tons of food to feed four thousand people. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Like they're not even having a victory lap. They're just like, well, of course. Yeah, and it's, yeah, that's what God does. And you know, it's almost infuriating. But there's no presumption of like, well, He's just going to do it again. Like, like we have a presumption. Yeah, God is going to come through again. But like, I I go back to like our experiences, right? Like, it would be reckless for me, like. If I was like, well, people are going to come through for me if I'm treated wrongly. So, like, I'm not even really going to worry about a job because I know there are people that love me. And that, you know, like, that would be that would be insane. That would be completely like a wrong way to go about living. I, I don't know where the line is and how much you're supposed to have of each. But but I do think there is there are certainly things that the disciples could learn from us in in, in, in recognizing um, the promises and what Jesus has already done for them. But I, I definitely think that even they're much closer to the, the child-like element than we are. Uh, and it, it's hard for me to say because they seem so dumb at different times, especially like pre-Jesus dying. But there's an element of here like, man, I, I would like to be like the disciples here. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And this this is this funny dynamic. I am simultaneously in awe of them, mm-hmm. solely based, honestly, with your presentation right now. I'm like, oh, that's so true, you know. And then I still carry this judgment about why don't you get this? Yeah. You know? So, so what about for you? What perplexes you? And I, by the way, I totally think that's fair. And I think part of it's a mindset and where you have to be living, where you, you know, are living in that particular day and in, in time. If you caught me while I was like going over my budget for the year and how I'm going to pay for, you know, food for, you know, my wife and, and my, my future kid, like, I feel like I probably would come down much harder on the disciples or I'd be much, much less being like, yeah, I want to be like them. So, so for me, the perplexing thing is this isn't just a one-off thing. There's this sense a lot of times when I, I see the miracles of Jesus where whether it's a healing, um, you know, healing somebody sick or uh, of a blind person, like why doesn't Jesus just start a clinic? You know, why there there is this element of like there are people who are hungry, there are people who don't have enough food around Jesus. Why, like, why isn't he just like a mobile food bank? Um, and, and we talked about earlier, like, not that you know, being a food bank is is the be all end all, but I'm like, it's still a pretty good thing. Mm-hmm. It, it's still like I, I like I, I still think it's a it's a great thing to do. And the perplexing thing for me is what would it for the person of Jesus to know that he can physically meet the needs of all those around him and yet to still walk through towns, walk through places where he changes and he does miracles for people who come to him who want them, but to still see people who are hungry, still see people who are sick. Like just what does that got to be like for Jesus and yeah, I don't know. It's just it's a it's a perplexing dynamic for me because I, I want Jesus. I, I want the story in the gospel to be like, yeah, and Jesus fed a hundred thousand people. Um, but then also, it's perplexing for like, what was it like for Jesus to see somebody who he knew he could meet their needs? He knew he could feed them. He knew he could heal them, and they refused to come to him. I, I don't know. It's just there's there's two different sides to it for me. So when I think about that, this this draws into like this <laughs> clear picture of the question why was jesus 
performing miracles at all, you know? And so to apply it to me, like what I'm taking away is that, and and the chief thing I'm taking away is God is so patient with me, <laughs> you know, that, that my, there's a little bit of this that feels a little bit, uh, feels overwhelming in, in the sense that, oh, so how can I become more childlike? And then how can I simultaneously be more responsible? And how do those not, you know, like basically, you know, mark each other out, you know, mm-hmm. in negate one negates the other. And and I don't think that's true. I think those work in this beautiful dynamic where you do gain understanding and wisdom and simultaneously become more childlike, but that is not a human endeavor. That is a that is a supernatural endeavor for me to simultaneously become more understanding and have more wisdom and to be more childlike and more trusting, you know. Whereas from a human perspective, those would be contrary. It's the same, and I've referenced this before, it's the same as God is all merciful and all just. Well, humanity cannot get us to all merciful and all just, you know, mm-hmm. but God can. There's this, that, That's a supernatural dynamic that God is calling us into as we work with him more and more. Um, but but the application, though, is the—so the ultimate application, of course, is God is merciful and he's patient, he's leading me into this. I, but more specifically, it's this idea that what I'm taking away is I'm just asking God, what would my life be like— if I were, you have to have an attentiveness to what exists, you know what I mean? So you've got your job. This isn't a call to quit your 40-hour-a-week job or quit your ministry or quit your whatever um, to go just to be responsive to whatever's out there. So so there's balance in this in some way. But just that idea of what if my walk with God was more about me constantly praying to say, God, what is the true need here? Because what you said ties into that. It leads me to think about it. Because if we assume that Jesus is perfect and he and he's being led by the Spirit and he's doing perfect work, then we have to assume that the reason he's not feeding everybody in every story is because there's actually a greater need there. You know, and why he's feeding people in this particular story is that's the greatest need. You know, and not just for the feeding of the people, but also the principle he is establishing for the apostles. Not, hey, you better have food banks, because it is interesting. You don't have a feeding of the five thousand or even of the one hundred when you get to the 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 book of Acts. Mm-hmm. When people are living without Jesus, you don't that's not a miracle that's reproduced. No, but it it is one of those things in the book of Acts where there are specific, you know, is it the deacons that are, you know, are established to make sure that certain you know, widows are fed, right? Which, so you know, even even saying that, so it is one of those things that it's like, it, it's very difficult because in my mind, I want to have an, I want to have an all or nothing approach, right? Like it'd just be so much easier if the application of this was like, okay, well, you know, feed everybody you can and just give your life for that, or you know, whether we're focusing on a miracle, okay, well, go to medical school and, you know, do whatever you can to, you know, bring, um, to bring medical wellness to as many people as possible. The, the frustrating thing, and I think you saying this helps put, put it into perspective for me is that I want to make it so it's something that I can accomplish myself. So if the goal is to feed as many people as possible, if I de- dedicated my life to that, I could feed thousands of people. If if that was all that I was going to, if I was going to forsake everything else and chase after that goal, I could do a lot. But if goal is to always be trying to meet the need of the person in front of me the way that God wants me to, 
that's not something I can do by myself. That's not something that I can train for and be, you know, and, 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 and master completely. That's something that I have to rely on his power for. And it's in fear. I'm not going to like, right. Like it sounds like a great ideal and it is, but right now I don't like it. I, I really, like, there's something about where I find myself, you know, December 9th, 2020, where I just, that, that, that grates on me in a weird way. And tomorrow, you might ask me tomorrow, and I might, that might be the best news ever. And I think it, it certainly will at some point in the next, you know, couple of days. But right now, that just, it grates on me in, in, a, in, a, in a weird way. Yeah. And I understand that we, as there, there's a part of us that we want, it's almost like what's going to be on the test. So I want to be successful, and so I want to know what the parameters are. And what we're saying is, and I think you you put this in a, a tremendous uh, context here, is or you know just this great picture of if you take one aspect of Jesus, well, I am going to be the person that that really notices the widows because Jesus noticed a widow. I'm going to be the person that really prays because Jesus prayed all night. I'm going to be the person. I, that is is the person that helps people experience physical healing because Jesus physically heals me. I'm going to be the person that preaches great sermons. I mean, this could go on and on and on. And we take these single aspects of Jesus he did, and then we have the tendency to maybe take a few of those and make that this is who Jesus was. And the reality is Jesus was none of those things. Mm. Jesus did those things. But what Jesus is modeling is complete dependence on God, which is the very thing I conceptually want, but in my life, I do my best to rule out. Yeah. Because instead, I want something that's concrete. I want the, Jason, what God wants from you is to feed all the people, is to foster all the children, it's to it's to be the best parent you can be, it's to preach the best sermon, it's to whatever that thing is. And those things may be something God does accomplish in my life, but they weren't the fullness of what Jesus was communicating. The fullness of what Jesus was communicating is be dependent on God like I'm dependent on God. Every good thing we see in Jesus is a result of him being dependent on God. And and, I, and that's the dynamic that, yeah. that's unsettling because that's nebulous. And I think a lot of the ugliness in church comes from if – I, if I think that, you know, man – the most important thing, what, what God is calling us to is, is preaching. And that's just, man, that's, that's it. And your thing is, um, your thing is, is feeding people who are hungry there. If those are the be all end all, and it doesn't mean we can't devote our lives to those things and those be true and great things that we, we give our all for. But if those are, if those are like the most important things, then we're going to be in conflict. And so in the very, in a church that has the same goal, same mission, same mind, if people who are working in the food pantry, view it as the only important thing, viewed as the be all end all, then they're gonna have less respect for people who are giving their be all like doing everything they can to work in the children's ministry or to work in the homeless ministry. And that sort of thinking is naturally going to make us judge other people. And I I, I see it myself all the time. Um, I think we've talked about it before when like, you know, I'm I'm like I love my work with teenagers and I think it's incredibly important. And it was very easy for me when I was working with teenagers to look at people who didn't want to volunteer in the youth ministry and judge them because I my work was so important. And it was really important. Mm-hmm. But when I elevate I elevate this when I elevate the specific situation that God has called me to as the situation, then it will it will sow discord in in my church, in my group, in my organization, whatever it may be. And so, yeah, I think for for me, the really convicting thing. This isn't any, anything we haven't talked about before, but we look at why why do conflicts come up in church? And I think one of the base reasons is that 
ultimately I think my ministry is more important and my ministry is the ministry. Uh, and, and, and I'm not saying that as a judgment away for other people. I'm, I'm saying it as, as myself. I, I totally agree. And, and the idea here is like, as we're wrapping this up is, is this dynamic. And th- this is just a general idea that we carry with amazed and perplexed. If you're hearing this conversation, you're like, well, this introduces a lot of turmoil because I feel some of that. Yeah. Right and now. I've talked about it. Yeah, like, I exactly. Still feel it. That's okay. Mm-hmm. And and this is the beauty of really walking with God instead of trying to figure out God's rules so you can be an A-plus student. Mm. The beauty of really walking with God is we recognize the disciples standing right beside Jesus were in some turmoil. Mm. They, they, they had more confusion. The more Jesus did, the more confusion they had. And and that that totally obliterates this mythology that the most mature Christian is the person that has all the right answers and has no confusion. That is not the biblical presentation. That's not to say they don't have increasing wisdom, but it does say the more wisdom you have, the more you notice about God, the more you notice about God, the more it's difficult to make it fit into our human thinking. And, and this is the dynamic that we are not trying to become Buddhist Christians, where we have all the answers and are totally at peace and are totally ab- above the world. And if I've just denigrated Buddhism, I don't mean to, but the, but the dynamic that I will just get so mature that the world will be beneath me and nothing will ever bother me and this mm-hmm. kind of thing, that's not what we see in the people of God in the scripture. It's certainly not what we see in the disciples. And, and what that says to me is I can be at peace knowing that God's not troubled by my turmoil. That God's not troubled. I don't mean to say he's not sensitive to it, but he's not judgmental about it. Yeah. He's not saying, when will you become mature and feel totally and get this? Yeah, Christian maturity isn't God raising you up on a pedestal. It's you going further and further down onto your knees. There it is. Yeah. Uh, thank you for listening to the Amazing Perplex podcast. Uh, if you're listening to this before Christmas, man, I just want to wish you a happy Christmas. Uh, I... I love this time of year, um, but you know I recognize, especially with COVID, there's a lot of complications, and I'm sure people aren't celebrating the way that they are they would normally celebrate. And so, you know, if this is a difficult season for you, um, man, I I just want to say we see you in that, and um, you know we're we're sorry that this isn't the way things should be. And so, man, we just pray uh, wherever you find yourself that you would be experiencing. Um, God's love and his joy and his peace and his hope. And uh, if Amazing Perplex can connect you with God in any sort of way, that's just, it's awesome for us. Thank you for listening. Grace, peace, and love.